You're listening to Environmentally Speaking, a weekly podcast diving into legal matters surrounding the environment, public utilities, energy, zoning, and permitting laws in Rhode Island and the surrounding areas with your host, Marissa Desitel. Hello, good afternoon, everybody. Well, afternoon that we're recording. Uh, My name is Clarice. I am recording sans Marissa today. Uh, These are one of those very rare and few moments when I get full control of the mic. I get to go rogue. And in the spirit of going rogue, I brought on a special guest. We have Leo Pollock joining us on this week's episode of Environmentally Speaking. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for, for coming on for today's episode. So we are focusing on a listener question of food waste which is a gigantic topic as we were just pre-recording chatting about. So in the spirit of talking about food waste and everything that's involved, tell us tell us how you connect to that. Yes, well, Clarice, appreciate the opportunity to talk food waste, um, something near and dear to my heart and, and something that it's exciting to see. I think more people are aware of and, and excited to kind of learn more about. So um, again, Leo Pollock, um, so I kind of came into this actually from, from uh, an interest in agriculture. Um, so I was doing urban agriculture work, kind of um, an education. So kind of teaching people how to grow food in the city. Um, I worked for a great organization in Providence called the Southside Community Land Trust for years. And part of it was sort of seeing this um, kind of two separate issues. One was in thinking about urban agriculture, there was a need for more Um, healthy soil, um, both in restoring urban soils and dealing with contamination issues. And then it was also just a recognition that um, there was all this food waste um, that didn't seem like it was being addressed. And most of it was getting mixed with trash and ending up in the landfill. I didn't at that point kind of understand the environmental problems that that can create. But um, seeing that as sort of an opportunity um, about 10 years ago, um, started uh, this business called The Compost Plant uh, with a partner, Nat Harris, who had a background in um, sort of rethinking waste streams as well. Um, he had started a business called Newport Biodiesel, thinking about uh, used vegetable oil as a, as a fuel um, that could be turned into biodiesel. Um, so we kind of put our heads together and thought, wow, there's really kind of an opportunity here to address this food waste problem and uh, really try to create, at that point, what we thought was compost, potting soils that could serve, you know, a growing um, urban, suburban gardening, farming uh, market. That already opens up a thousand questions for me. <laughs> I'm so excited already. Um, so what would you define, let's start at the way basics, building block one. What do you define as food waste? Are we talking... Yep leftovers stuff we just never got to in our produce bin great question so kind of starting with with that term and i think it's again it's it's unfortunate so i think the first thing to understand is really um there's a lot of complexity in that um you know i think the first place to start is um we need to rethink how we think about waste so um you know food number of different forms sometimes you know if we if we go into kind of you know, the normal house, right? So there's, you know, there's both food waste in terms of 
when we're preparing food, you know, we're peeling things, there are pits and fruit, there's, you know, there's kind of the inedible mm -hmm. stuff um, that is, you know, not wasteful, but obviously there's nutrients and there's um, vitamins and minerals in those things that if they're going in the trash are sort of tossed, you know, buried in a landfill, never recovered. So there's kind of that piece. There's also then the, you know, things we leave in the back of our fridge that start to mold or start to rot that from a food safety standpoint, we're not going to eat, we're not going to give to anyone. Um, I might be guilty so, of that once or twice. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so that's another component. So kind of food that's spoiled, um, that again, would normally in, you know, in most, I would say American households, you find that old leftover container, you dump it in the trash. Um, it feels a little, you know, a little bit of guilt of like, oh, I forgot about this. Um, so there's kind of that. And then, you know, when you get into kind of um, the commercial or, you know, when we think about supermarkets, it's, it's those same things just at a much larger scale. So, you know, the produce aisle in a supermarket, you know, they're pulling anything out that has spots or that is starting to rot, you know, in part because produce needs to look good. But also in part, just if you have a whole bunch of apples together and you start leaving ones that are bruised, you're going to start to get more produce spoiling. So it's kind of a, they have to pick through. So those things in general are, are traditionally have been kind of mixed with our trash and end up in the landfill. And the challenge of that around food waste is, um, as you know, as food waste starts to break down, not only does it start to smell, but um, especially if it's in a place where it's it's buried like a landfill, um, it's actually producing um, methane gas, which is a greenhouse gas that's um, significantly more problematic than carbon dioxide. So, um, so we hear a lot about CO2, carbon dioxide as a, as a greenhouse gas that we wanna address. And methane is another one that we need to think about. And that's really where it ties back to food waste. I think I'm still stuck on the idea of that old expression, one bad apple spoils the bunch. One bad apple can really just ruin all of its neighbors. It is true. Um, I'm, I'm not a, right. I'm not a food scientist, but you get, <laughs> um, you get kind of, I mean, if you think about it, the same reason that we, you know, we hopefully want to eat nutritious food is, you know, it's giving us the energy, the the vitamins and minerals kind of we need for every day. So the the downside is there are a lot of bacteria that also um, you know are happy to feed on those same things. Um, so if food isn't stored properly or if food isn't um, kept at the right temperature, um, it can spoil. And and you definitely have the problem of once something is kind of on or in one thing and it starts to rot, that's just going to spread gonna across. Spread. Huh, so guys, that uh, expression actually, it's got some solid roots and I might be the last person to think of that. <laughs> so you, we've got all of this food waste. We have this problem of, and, and now thinking on a larger scale, um, groups and, and sort of that display of produce going bad at a supermarket and things like that. Tell me how compost either helps with methane reduction, how it handles it what's what's the benefit of it yeah so and and i think this is good so i'm gonna i'm gonna talk 
in general, kind of from the thinking about it, like in the commercial industrial space, that's really where we work. So the residential side is similar, but has different um, challenges or different logistics, but um, kind of to, to get to your question. So it's, so we have this problem of this, these volumes are generated in all these places. So restaurants every day are prepping food, restaurants every day are clearing plates that people didn't finish, supermarkets are clearing their produce. If there's a, you know, if there's a larger facility that's preparing um, food for a supermarket, so, you know, tomato sauce or something, they're going to generate, you know, a lot of food waste in that preparation as well. So there are mm -hmm. all these different kinds of facilities. Um, so, you know, the, the challenge of how we address it is, is, is kind of, there's a couple different components. So the first is, how do we actually set up a system where it's separated from trash and picked up? So there's kind of the like logistics around how do you work with different size customers, you know, a supermarket, very different than a small restaurant, a small restaurant, very different than a large meat processing facility. So there are those logistics. And then the big question is, where does it go? So if it's not going to the landfill, where can it go that it can be turned into something or, or used in a way that's better than a landfill and ideally doesn't produce methane and contribute to global warming. So, um, so there's kind of two avenues that um, seem to be emerging and, and you know, have historically um, been kind of the way to, to do that. So the first is, as you mentioned, composting. So composting, you know, can happen at a household, can happen at a much larger scale on a farm or at a industrial scale facility. Pretty um, basic concept in terms of it's been around for a long time, um, but, you know, mostly as a farm-based practice. So the basic idea of compost is, you know, a recipe similar to baking, you know, food waste is high in nitrogen, um, has a lot of water and liquid, um, so that then gets mixed with things that are high in carbon. So things like dry leaves or wood chips um, or sort of brush from landscapers, things like that. Mm -hmm. So carbon high materials that tend to be drier. And so that you're trying to get to that sweet spot of mixing nitrogen and carbon and mixing kind of wet and dry to get this kind of optimal carbon to nitrogen ratio and moisture. and then the beautiful thing is um, the bacteria that naturally live on food waste and that naturally live in leaves and straw and those kinds of things are basically then you've given them kind of the optimal um, parameters and they're going to start to basically digest that down and break all that food waste that could smell bad, produce methane. It's going to basically stabilize it as a a soil amendment. So as something that smells, you know, has no odor in the end, it kind of smells like a forest floor, you know, the kind of an earthy mushroomy smell. Um, and that then is a great addition to farms, gardens. It's gonna lock nutrients up in a way that is gonna make them available to plants over a long term. 
Um, and that, again, kind of stabilizes that food waste, stops it from going uh, anaerobic and producing methane, and it's going to then um, stabilize it in a form you know, of, of sort of a soil amendment. Um, I'm going to use some terms in here that are a little nerdy, wonky in the industry, so I apologize for that. And I think this might be the place to, to be a full nerd. <laughs> I, I'll embrace it. Uh, <laughs> so that first route of composting actually prevents there being a huge amount of methane left over. So in that case, we're not even dealing with that that byproduct. Yep. You've kind of cut it off at the head. So exactly. Tell me so you about kind of... the commercial route. Tell me, tell me a little bit more. We've we've left my backyard. We're now, I don't know. I'm like an uneaten French fry at a restaurant. Where do I go? What happens? Yeah. So um. So you know same process and and so compost is is kind of one direction that that can go um the other is um and this was something when we started the business i was less familiar with um but the the term in the industry is called anaerobic digesters um they're a lot of times they're called ad facilities um and those are a different so it's sort of the opposite approach they they also incorporate food waste um, the idea here is it's sort of the same process that would be naturally happening in a landfill, so producing methane gas, but in a controlled environment where that methane is captured fully, contained, and then that methane can then be used as either it can be burned for electricity, so it's it's sort of a renewable energy route, or it can be kind of compressed and cleaned into a gas that can run um larger vehicles so you see some municipal bus fleets or um service fleets like um, waste management runs a lot of their trucks on natural gas um so as an alternative to diesel fuel um things like that so you know it's sort of either food waste turned into compost as a soil or it's food waste turned into renewable energy um, and and it in some way is then integrated into the the energy grid. You said that so casually. You can <laughs> that's <laughs> such an exciting idea. <laughs> you can take food waste and capture all of that methane and power a bus. And that is, and I would say that's one of the areas that uh, you know is still really from a infrastructure so the actual facilities in the us um, there aren't that many here there's a lot more in europe um, but it's something that i think we'll see and you may be hearing more and more about is that i think will be part of when we talk about sort of what is renewable energy a lot of people immediately think oh it's you know in rhode island it's we have offshore wind we have a lot of solar um you know in other parts of northern New England, you have hydropower. So we, those are the kind of the ones that we tend to be familiar with, but anaerobic digesters are, are gonna be part of that, that picture. Um, and they're, they're not something that we're finding a lot of people know anything about right now. Um, but it is a, it's, it's kind of an amazing concept is in either case, uh, food is energy. Um, so it's either going, it's either ending up as a stored energy that's then available to plants, in the form of compost, or it's literally producing energy in the form of gas, um, 
in one case in a landfill, that gas is just going into the atmosphere and it's creating a lot of problems. If it's contained and it's intentional and the facility is operating well, that's producing a gas that can replace, you know, fracking gas or replacing electricity that would come from coal or other sources. Um, so it can, you know, that's seen as a renewable energy that's replacing traditional fossil fuels in that case. That is such a cool concept. Oh, I, I love this idea. And once you've, once you've sort of, it's gone through, I guess, maybe digestion or, or whatever that breakdown is, what's left? You've, you've pulled Great. the methane out. Is it a pile Great. of dust? <laughs> Great question. Um, and this, I think, is where, um, you know, the, the initial excitement starts to get a little more complicated on both sides. So, um, you know, uh, and I could talk personally. So, you know, when 10 years ago, when we started the compost plant, my thought was, um, you know, if we could figure out a way to work with a lot of different commercial customers and get a lot of that food waste out of the landfill, it could be composted, we'd reduce that amount of methane, there'd then be more compost available for gardens and farms, and that would be a solution. One of the challenges of that is then, you know, Rhode Island, very small state, very densely populated state, you know, challenges around, well, where do you site compost facilities? They need a lot of acreage, they need a lot of equipment. Um, you know, you have a challenge of, they can't be necessarily near watersheds because of potential runoff. So, you know, there are a lot of kind of challenges in implementing that. Um, I would say with anaerobic digesters, you know, one of the challenges is, you're right, what happens after that methane gas is produced, the energy is captured. So you end up with a couple, you end up with sort of a, what they call in the industry kind of a, a slurry. So it's sort of a, it looks like oh, Leo, you know, that's maybe a wet, <laughs> wet soil, kind of a brown slurry. Um, so that then either has to be used in some way or processed further into something that then is stable again. So some slurry from digesters is then composted. The problem then is you're starting with kind of a lower, you know, a lower level of nutrition because a lot of the energy from it has been, has gone into the gas production. Mm -hmm. um, some places are experimenting with kind of drying that out and turning it into, you know, like almost like a fertilizer pellet. Um, so something that would then turn it into again, having a use, but that is one of the challenges. There's no, like, this is the tried and true answer. Um, we've seen some digesters that are now um, siting on dairy farms. And one of the, one of the benefits of that is, so we're finding uh, some anaerobic digesters are sited on dairy farms. One of the benefits of that is um, that sl slurry can then be applied to fields. You know, if they're growing corn for cattle feed, um, it can be used as basically a directly land applied fertilizer that is going to then be available, um, you know, as a, as a fertilizer replacement for plants as well. So that's one where it seems like based on where the facility is being located, it has a direct land use application there that has some benefit. Um, 
And then the kind of dry material that they would screen out can be used for bedding for cows and things like that. So there are challenges of it. There's some solutions coming up, but I think this is the, the learning lesson I've had is, you know, there's no perfect answer for this. It's, you know, there are benefits on one side, there are challenges. Um, some of it, I think, depends on kind of regionally what's available. So in places where there's a huge amount of land, um, you know, composting may be a better solution. The challenge then is, similar to the digester is if you produce a lot of compost, where is that compost going? Um, it, it's a heavy material, it's like moving soil. So it has to be transported to a place where it can be used. If you then transport it, you're creating more um, emissions in terms of moving stuff with large trucks. So it gets, it starts to get messy really fast. Huh. And you had said this is one of the lessons. What was, um, would you be able to share sort of a surprising lesson that you've learned in the the kind of birth and development of the compost plant? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the and I have a couple numbers um, that I just made a note of, um, but I think the the real kind of big revelation to me in, in diving, you know, I did, I, I did not grow up uh, in the waste industry, it's it's a newer area to me, um, and I find it fascinating because um, it's it's generally sort of the idea in American culture is it's invisible. Um, that that was always surprising to me that you know we put out our trash, it's picked up you know at early morning or when we're when people are at work, and then we come home and the bins are empty or things get emptied and we never see where they go. And, and um, we never hear anything back. And so it's sort of like we produce waste and it disappears. Um, and that I find really fascinating from just a, um, it, in some ways the waste industry is so efficient and um, you know tuned into the logistics of it. On the other hand, I think we pay a price in terms of when we don't have awareness of what happens to things we tend to lose what the impacts or um, we tend to not have any feedback about how to change behaviors that might impact that. And I think the biggest challenge of that is, and the, the realization that the scale of what we're talking about is just stunning. Um, so I, you know, just uh, looking at Rhode Island, um, which I, Rhode Island to me is always interesting because it's, you know, we are the smallest state um, but I think it's a fascinating example because it gives kind of a scale that things can be a little easier to understand. Um, and then think about, you know, a state like New York or California as X numbers of Rhode Island or, <laughs> you know, to kind of extrapolate from that to think about it like, whoa, that's different when you're in a state with 12 million people. Mm -hmm. um, but just to give an idea, I mean, we're we're talking about um, the the central landfill in Rhode Island. Um, Rhode Island Resource Recovery did a kind of waste analysis study, um, I think, in 2018, um, and they saw that you know just the amount of food waste that was getting mixed in with trash, you know, was about a hundred thousand tons, one ton being two thousand pounds a year, just from 
just from the residential sector. So that's, you know, the, the municipalities that are picking oh, up trash yeah. and bringing it to the one landfill. And this is in a state with a million people. We're talking about, you know, 100,000 tons times 2,000 pounds a year. Um, commercially, it's a little lower, um, but, you know, on a similar scale. And that just feels like... Just to go back, you said over 100,000 tons? About a hundred, they said about 90,000 tons um, were just um, compostable waste. So waste that could have been composted. So that's kind of mixed, people mixing food waste in their trash. Holy cow. Sometimes trash getting leaf and yard waste that that isn't going to, um, for composting yeah. or for um, things like paper or other things. So things that like could be, composted or could go to an anaerobic digester, but are going in the trash, just that, um, about 100,000 tons that we would need to, and ideally should be, diverting out of trash and finding something else to do with. So that's a big problem that's to handle. a huge problem. And just to give our listeners some perspective, I don't know why I decided to quickly Google this. That's almost two Titanics. Yeah. So when you think That's about what here. a ton, I mean, a, when I think about, um, you know, it's hard, a, a ton being 2000 pounds. Um, you're right. It's hard to think about like, what is the, the equivalent yeah, what's of the scale of that? That's That's a huge problem. Wow. So it's, it's just sort of stunning to me that, that there's that, uh, just amount of food waste and that, um, really a mismatch. I think we know now the problem around methane. So we know that food waste in landfills produces methane. Um, we know that methane is a much more problematic greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, but it really feels like the momentum around solving that problem, we, we haven't, you know, not just Rhode Island, but nationally, we, we haven't really cracked. Um, and I think it still feels like it's very much in its infancy in terms of figuring out how do we get all that food waste out of the stream going to the landfill, and how do we then also have the the range of facilities to manage it in a way that is producing more compost, more renewable energy, and not um, landfilling. And that's what's both. Um, eye-popping and, you know, it feels exciting to be really coming in on the ground floor of something that, you know, we're, we're trying to figure out and trying to develop solutions around, um, but, you know, how, really um, in a space that still feels like there's a lot of potential and innovation and, um, and just kind of logistical connections. And do you think that lack of awareness and that sort of lack of conversation is tied to the fact that like you said our our waste is almost handled in secret it's that idea of we put it in a dark bag where we don't have to look at it it's in a bin with a lid it gets taken out and goes away and it's just that idea of discreet and quick removal constantly so do you think that's in a way hindering some of our I possible do. progress i do it's it's and I think it's, you know, from kind of a cultural thinking about like 
how do we think about waste as a culture? It, I, I, I think that's fascinating. And I, I, I would agree hundred percent that I think that is to some extent at the, at the center of the problem that we think of waste as something um, we produce it, we put it out and someone else deals with it and manages where it goes. And I think part of the challenge of that is, you know, as I mentioned, when you get all these things mixed together, it basically means that they're impossible to then sort out later. So what, so the, the kind of burden of responsibility really in some ways needs to shift. And I would say the thing that's probably going to drive that is, is money. Um, it needs to shift from the responsibility for sorting and figuring out how to kind of find the best use for this is on the end at the waste disposal facility or you know, on the waste haulers that are picking it up. Um, and it really needs to come back to the, the generator, the producer or the consumer. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's true. You know, we've in some ways started to understand that a little more with recycling. Um, but I think even recycling, it's it's we're, we've sort of seen that this idea that we can create all this mixed recycling and that it will get recycled in the way that we think it will it is really not true in the way that, that we think about it. Um, and I think we've seen some examples, you know, recently where you've seen some of the recycling markets for plastic in particular, you know, it's it's still generally cheaper to produce plastic from fossil fuels in a new form rather than recycle it. We see this a lot with glass. Um, you know, glass doesn't have a lot of value when it's mixed with all different colors. So, you know, different color glass when it's when it's recycled ends up having to go to basically brown brown glass because you have clear glass, green glass, brown glass. Um, so it's I think there's sort of a we're we're coming to a point where some of those like what is really valuable to recycle or what is really has value that's higher than landfill trash, we really need to be a little clear on. And I think the burden of that needs to go back to whoever is generating. And, and at the household level, that's individuals. And on the commercial level, it's businesses. You know, So that responsibility falls back at that level, not kind of at the end of the line. Mm -hmm. And speaking of businesses, the compost plant is part has partnered with several different businesses, specifically restaurants and sort of folks who are in the commercial food space. Um, tell me a little bit about your work there. Yeah, so it's been, so, so um, we do work with a couple other businesses that focus just on serving residential. So that I think of it in terms of scale. So most households, you know, those, the businesses that service residential would generally be, for example, they'd be picking up a five gallon bucket from a house once a week or twice a week or once every couple of weeks. So it's kind of in, if we think about it in terms of gallons, like a normal house, you'd maybe have a small bucket that would get picked up every week. When you start to shift into like a restaurant, you know, we work with bins that are closer to 50 gallons. So, you know, we're working with small restaurants that are maybe producing 
50 or 100 gallons a week. Then you kind of get into the next level up, you know, a supermarket or like a dining hall at a university. You know, they're feeding sometimes thousands of meals every day. Um, a supermarket is, you know, has turning produce every day. They're, they have prepared food. They're doing cut fruit for customers. So there's all mm -hmm. these different things. So there we're picking up sometimes 300, 500 gallons a day. Um, and then you get into kind of the next scale up would be, you know, like a big food processing facility. So a place that's producing food for, you know, regional supermarkets. And there sometimes we're picking up, I mean, literally tons a day. So 20 of those 50 gallon bins, you know, so a thousand gallons a day, 1500. And, and that's the hard piece is how do we, you know, one of the challenges that we started out with is how do we have a kind of collection system that works for a range of customers from that small restaurant that's producing 50 gallons a day, all the way up to that industrial facility that's producing a thousand gallons a day. Um, and that's really what we've worked on. And I think have, have come up with um, a modified type of, you know, waste truck um, that's catered to food waste. So food waste tends to be really wet. It tends to be pretty heavy. Um, Is that so slurry language again? We are in, it's, we are in the slop business. That's, that's what I, that's what I think every day. Um, so, but that's really kind of, that was our first focus is how do we, how do we basically find a way that works for different customers, you know, commercial and institutional or industrial that we can pick up and that we can get that material out of going to the landfill. And then the next phase was, what do we do with it? And then that's when it came into this digestive energy produ producing exciting idea. I love this. And that um, was that was sort of the, the evolution. So we we started as a business that was collecting food waste. We um, we were leasing a farm in northern Rhode Island, and we were producing compost, and then we were selling compost and potting soils. And about two years ago. Um, we really had to take a step back and say, we're spread way too thin. We're doing too many things. What are we really able to do well? And so we really said, we're a organic waste business. So we work with generators of food waste at all those scales and we pick it up and transport it. And we work with compost facilities that are producing compost and we work with anaerobic digesters that are producing renewable energy. And so we are kind of the conduit from where that food waste is generated to where it can be processed in some way that we see as better than it going to landfill. That's just awesome, awesome stuff. Now, um, I know we're getting close to time, so I wanna wrap up with two questions. Go Do ahead. you have any tips or, or ways folks at home could be help, more helpful? Is it better recycling, starting our own compost? Um, I will say my husband gave it a shot. We learned very quickly there was, you have to stir it. Yes. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't know that the first round. <laughs> what can we no, do? 
Yeah, no, Clarice, great question. And I, I think it's always kind of, we want to take it back to like, if you're someone listening to this and you're feeling like, oh, this isn't sitting well, like, what can I do? Um, so it's interesting. We, I, I worked years ago with EPA and they had a really interesting program called Food Too Good to Waste. And it's interesting because we always want to think about immediately how do we deal with the food waste when it's generated, right? So like, how do we compost at home? And mm -hmm. one of the things that that really worked on is the actually one of the real impact points we could make is how do we prevent food waste in the first place? And so a couple just really, really quick kind of things to keep in mind. So the first was um, they had a couple kind of tools for people at home to think about. So the, the idea was when you're throwing away food, literally you're just throwing away money. So you bought something mm -hmm. at a grocery store, you bought something from a restaurant, you didn't finish it. It's just whatever you spent going right into the trash. And so I think with that frame, the, the suggestions were, so the first thing you can do is anytime before you're going to go shopping, shop your fridge first. So really take kind of an assessment of like, what do I have? What do I need? You know, so that you don't get into the, and I'm guilty of this as well, is you go to the grocery store and you end up buying something that you already have. And then what tends to happen is the new thing you bought gets used and the old thing you had starts rotting and then ends up getting thrown away. So that was sort of their first is look in your fridge, take a kind of quick and then make a shopping list and do it based on some idea of what meals you're gonna prepare or wanna make specifically. And so that's mm -hmm. gonna kind of prevent some stuff in the fridge from not getting used. They also say like designated area or what I found is kind of pull out, new stuff goes in back, older stuff goes in front. And then you're more likely to pull the stuff that's in front and not let it push farther back and disappear forever. I like um, that. So so kind of tools like that, um, I think in terms of like, there's gonna be food waste, um, you know, a couple options. I would say if you're someone who's interested in kind of embarking on home composting, it's not a, it's not a hard technical thing, but it does require like sort of consistent management. And so I would say, ask yourself, like, is that something I wanna take on? If not, no judgment, then I would look at, there are some residential companies now that are providing food waste service for households. And in my hope in the future is, we'll get to the point where that's more of an offering that cities and towns do, but I think we're still a ways off from that point. So, um, you know, we work with a couple partners. Um, one is called Bootstrap Compost. Um, there's a great uh, organization in Providence called Harvest Cycle. Um, and there's also an organization that focuses right now more on Aquidneck Island um, called Black Earth Compost. And they all are geared towards, um, you know, kind of home composting. They have a bucket service. Um, mm -hmm. You pay a monthly fee based on how frequently it's picked up. Um, and so I think those are great options as well. Very cool stuff. And um, one more small tip for folks who, who have forgotten tip one and went grocery shopping and now you have doubles. Um, learn about quick pickling. That was something that I found myself forgetting and buying 
you know, it was too, too many jalapenos or cucumbers or, you know, onions, things like that. A quick pickle in the mason jar takes maybe 10 minutes start to finish. And it is tasty. It is some tasty stuff. Uh, So on that note, um, is there any, are there any big takeaways, anything that we should kind of leave here thinking other than our awesome tips on how to be better? Not specifically. I mean, I guess my, my parting thing would be, um, you know, at, at the home level, you know, just generally being more kind of aware around, you know, what you buy, what food ends up in the trash, what it could have been used for. And I think like, that's a great suggestion too, is sort of using, you know, in that EPA thing, one of the things we did was not even with people composting, just putting your food waste into one container helped people really start to understand like, wow, I'm consistently buying this thing and then throwing it away every week. And so like, I either need to use that or not buy it. So I think, again, it's sort of back to, you know, what we touched on earlier is the more aware you are of sort of what you're doing, then helps you or gives you kind of more information to be able to make different decisions or change behavior. And I think that kind of tracking or awareness is, is, is kind of a powerful first step in thinking about, well, what do I need to do differently? Awesome. Well, Leo, thank you so much. This was an awesome conversation. I've learned so much and I, I really love that awareness piece and sort of preventing it before it becomes waste. I think that's really some powerful stuff. Um, so if you guys ever have any questions, maybe you want to do a follow-up about food waste. If there are any other topics that we brought up that you all want to hear about, um, reach out to us. We are at help at desatelesq.com. You can hit us up on the socials. You can comment on our YouTube channel, our Instagram. If you want to be formal, we do accept emails. But other than that, have an awesome week and weekend, everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Environmentally Speaking. If you're in need of an environmental attorney, we are here to help. Call us at 401-477-0023 or visit our website at www.desatellaw.com. That's www.desatellaw.com.